ಅಖಂಡಿದಾನಂದಸಗೋಚರಂ ಆತ್ಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರಂ so we are studying the uh, vedanta sara of sadananda by the way somebody remarked that uh, uh, he has another copy of, uh, of, of uh, he has another book called the vedanta sara by ramanujacharya and that's right so ramanujacharya the great master of vishishtadvaita vedanta he also wrote, wrote a book called vedanta sara but that vedanta sara is a presentation of vishishtadvaita philosophy and that's an entirely different book this is an introduction to uh, advaita philosophy but confusingly both are called vedanta sara now we were studying the four preliminaries um, the four preliminaries are adhikari the qualified student uh, vishaya the subject matter sambandha relation of the text to the subject matter and then uh, prayojana the purpose or the benefit of this study so we have already seen the the qualifications for um, the person who is going to read this text so a spiritual seeker who has the fourfold qualifications sadhana chatushtaya sampanna pramata adhikari that i'm just taking the last phrase from that um, that text which we read the the knower or the seeker of knowledge who has the fourfold qualification is qualified for this text what are the fourfold qualifications um viveka discernment between eternal and non-eternal vairagya a dispassion towards the non-eternal the shat sampatti the six treasures which are important in our spiritual journey and the mumukshutvam which means intense desire for freedom so the one with these four qualities fourfold qualities which are actually nine because six have been packed into uh, the number 3 the six treasures so the one with these qualities or with a sufficient amount of excellence in these qualities uh, will benefit fully from this text that does not mean that now we have to stop studying and go back to perfecting our viveka and vairagya and all of those six treasures and then i'll come back to the text 20 years later no we have to go along with all of these we have to study we have to uh, develop those qualities we have to carry on our meditation all of those practices have to go hand in hand uh, just that one must keep an eye on those fourfold qualities that we have to develop them to a certain level before this thing becomes effective now this was that was just the first of the four preliminaries the first one adhikari qualified uh, seeker or qualified reader then the second uh, of the four preliminaries was vishaya subject matter what are we studying here so we are going to go to that now text number 27 text number 27 those who have a book you can refer to that or the pdf the pdf has the added advantage of uh, having an english transliteration so when i read out the sanskrit you can actually follow those who can't read the sanskrit letters you can follow in the transliteration vishaya ಜೀವ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಐಕ್ಯ ಶುದ್ಧ ಚೈತನ್ಯ ಪ್ರಮೇಯ ತೇದಾಂತೈಡೆಂಟಿಟಿ ಆಫ್ ದ ಇಂಡಿವಿಜುವಲ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮನ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ನೇಚರ್ ಆಫ್ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ಇಂಟೆಲಿಜೆನ್ಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಟು ಬಿ ರಿಯಲೈಸ್ಡ್ ಫಾರ್ ಸಚ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಪರ್ಪಟ್ ಆಫ್ ದ
what is this text all about and by extension what is the what is vedanta all about because this is an introduction to vedanta so the subject of this book is also the subject matter for all of vedanta so what is this about jiva brahma aikyam the oneness of jiva and brahman now both of these terms are important they'll all become very clear later on everything will be defined but still jiva means a sentient being like us so all human beings all living beings are jivas specifically pure consciousness limited by ignorance and uh, in association with a particular subtle body is called a jiva and usually it is inhabiting a physical body also so right now we have physical bodies we have subtle bodies we also have causal bodies and all of these things will be will be explained and shown to us in great detail in in, in the texts ahead so jiva is basically sentient being just like us individual beings and we for example we are the jivas who are seeking liberation enlightenment uh, realization and that's why we have come to vedanta what is brahma brahman literally the word means the vast the sanskrit etymology means that which expands brahma is uh, the etymological meaning is the one which expands without limit literally vast infinite specifically in vedanta it refers to the ultimate reality of the universe uh even more specifically in this context it refers to that reality of the universe from which this entire universe has come in which it is sustained and into which it shall uh dissolve uh, at the end of uh, end of a cycle only to be resurrected again and again and again so the whole universe comes from this brahman exists in brahman disappears back into brahman so this brahman which is talked about here is technically the god of religion um in religion um, god is the creator and, and the preserver and and ultimately the dissolver of the universe um and brahman is also used in the sense of the ultimate reality which is which has no reference to the universe or to our individual existence what is called nirguna brahman in vedanta so brahman refers to two kinds of uh, there are two kinds of references to brahman i'm not saying two kinds of entities it's the same entity but one is nirguna brahman the ultimate reality and one is saguna brahman brahman with qualities or brahman with characteristics which is god god of religion so here it is being said the identity of the individual with the with brahman and here the word brahman preliminary meaning is saguna brahman ultimate meaning will be nirguna brahman so the identity of jiva and brahman is the subject matter of the um uh, of vedanta sara and it's subject matter of vedanta itself of this book and of all of vedanta so what is the uh, the subject matter of vedanta uh, your identity with brahman and this is expressed in the so called great state statements mahavakyas uh, found in the different upanishads uh, the famous tattvamasi that thou art see this is what is being uh, taught there the identity of jiva and brahman Uh, of tattvamasi tat refers to brahman tvam refers to you the jiva and asi means you are that that thou art identity of jiva and brahman or look at aham brahmasmi i am brahman from the brihadaranyaka upanishad tattvamasi is from chandogya upanishad aham brahmasmi is from brihadaranyaka upanishad i am brahman i refers to i the jiva brahma refers to brahman of course i am brahman again identity the oneness of jiva and brahman or pragyanam brahma 
the consciousness that we feel now, the awareness, our, our, uh, the sentience we feel right now, that is Brahman. Again, you see identity of, of your identity with Brahman is being mentioned here. Or I am Atma Brahma from the Mandukya Upanishad. Uh, this very self is Brahman. Again, the identity of Jiva and Brahman. So these Mahavakyas, great sentences, they express the whole teaching of Vedanta in one sentence. And what is the whole teaching of Vedanta? It's so, it's so simple and direct. The identity of Jiva and Brahman. The identity of the individual and the cosmic. So this is the, the whole of Vedanta, the essence of Vedantic teaching. Now, um, oneness, Aikyam means oneness. What kind of oneness? Just a little bit of thinking about it. Let's just dwell on this. Um, it, is it like... You know, the classical example they'll give, give us is maybe like a, like a red lotus, maybe. Um, I mean, actually, the text talk about Nilagata, blue pot, but that's a weird example. Uh, a red lotus, maybe. So the red and the lotus are one and the same thing, because that red is the color of that lotus. They are not two different things. The red and the lotus are the same thing. Um, the red is the color and the lotus is the flower. They are the same thing means they exist inseparably. The, the lotus does not exist without a color and the red does not float in the air. They exist together. Is that the kind of uh, oneness that is being meant here? No. No. It's not like a substance and its property. Lotus is a substance and its property is like the red color. It, so they are one, but not that kind of oneness. Or is it a kind of oneness like when two things are mixed, like milk and water? Uh, so is it like that? But no, that's not really oneness because milk existed without the water, water existed without the milk, they have been mixed together and they can be separated again. That's not the kind of oneness that is being meant. Then what kind of oneness is meant here? Absolute oneness, identity is meant here. When it is said, Jiva and Brahman are the same thing, uh, or oneness of Jiva and Brahman, oneness of Brahman and the sentient being, us, it means... Jiva is Brahman and Brahman is Jiva. It's a very radical oneness. You, uh, the Jiva, the sentient being, actually, really, though it does not seem like that, really, you are nothing other than the ultimate reality of the universe. Uh, you are nothing other than Brahman. And Brahman, uh, God of this universe, is actually nothing other than you. That kind of identity is meant. That's really bewildering because... At first sight, it does not seem so. Uh, it it um, seems very different. Even if we did believe in a God of the universe, the idea that we have about God is that uh, it is omnipotent, omniscient, uh, it's creator of the universe. I am nothing like that. It is one. I am. There are so many of us, billions of us. It is immortal. We are subject to birth and death. Uh, it is all powerful. We are so weak all-knowing, we know so little. So it's so different. I'm, if there is such a God, you're saying I'm one with that, but it's so different. How can we be one with that? Therefore it says, Shuddha Chaitanyam, pure consciousness. So you see um, the words, Jiva Brahmaikyam, the identity. Now we know what kind of oneness? Identity. They're identical, Jiva and Brahman. Identical to what? Pure consciousness, Shuddha Chaitanyam. What does this mean? The differences between you and Brahman are only apparent. They are not ultimately real. 
um, what you are actually is pure consciousness. What Brahman, the God of the universe, this all-powerful uh, entity which we don't know directly, which we believe in, is uh, also actually pure consciousness. And our limitation, our smallness, our little knowingness, our uh, non-eternalness, you know, being born and dying, uh, our changefulness, all of these are superimposed qualities, appearances. They are not real. Similarly, God's all-powerful nature, all-beneficent nature, loving nature, that's also relative, not ultimately real. Ultimately, there's only one reality, which is uh, pure consciousness, Shuddha Chaitanyam. It's like saying, um, when you're in a movie hall, you see a movie, and if somebody says, look, actually, really speaking, there's only the screen, and the movies are just appearances in the screen. So what follows? In that case, the hero is the villain. In what sense? Not in the sense of the movie or the plot of the movie. In the sense that that hero, wherever he is there uh, in, in the movie, and the villain, whenever he's there in the movie, they're actually appearances. They're nothing but the screen and the play of light and all that in the screen. The hero is the screen and the, um, the villain is the screen. As screen, they are one. No matter how different they appear. You could say... The tragedy and the comedy are one because the tragedy ultimately is not a tragedy. It's a movie playing on a screen. The comedy is ultimately not a comedy. It's a movie playing on a screen. So on a fictional level, they are different. But uh, ultimately, is nothing other than the screen which is appearing in all these different ways. Here also, uh, ultimately, there is this pure consciousness, Shuddha Chaitanyam, which is appearing as God and God's universe and also us individual sentient beings. You are really pure consciousness and God is really pure consciousness and therefore you are identical. Not different pure consciousness, not different pure consciousnesses. There's only one pure consciousness and which is appearing as you and God. All right. Um, so this is what is behind the whole Brahman is real and the world is false. Notice here Brahman has been used in two ways here. One is Jiva Brahmaikyam, the identity of your identity with Brahman. There you are the Jiva. The moment you are Jiva, then Brahman means Saguna Brahman, God. Identity of these two apparently polar opposites. And Shuddha Chaitanyam, pure consciousness. That's also Brahman. But then it refers to Nirguna Brahman, the, the absolute. So at the level of the absolute, no differentiation. At the level of the, of the universe, tremendous differentiation. But what Advaita is saying, they are one and the same thing. Okay, now the next word is interesting. It says, Shuddha Chaitanyam Prameyam. This is what is to be known. That Shuddha Chaitanyam, pure consciousness, is the thing to be known or realized. Prameyam means to be known, literally. Pramata, the knower. Prameyam, thing to be known. Pramana, the source of knowledge. So, for example, I am the Pramata, knower. And this pen is the Prameyam, the known. And my eyes are the source of knowledge, Pramanam. So I, the knower, Pramata, using a source of knowledge, Pramanam. What kind of source of knowledge is this? Perception, Pratyaksha. Using perception, a visual perception, Chakshusha Pratyaksha. I have knowledge, Prama. Prama is another term, knowledge of Prameyam, the uh, object of knowledge, this. 
So I have defined four terms here, or indicated four, four terms. Pramata, knower. Pramanam, instrument of knowledge. Prameyam, object of knowledge, what is to be known. And Prama, the knowledge itself. All these divisions are possible. And that's how, how we carry out our daily activities. All our activities depend on this kind of knowledge. The very fact of me talking to you right now is because uh, I have my, my sense organs, which are giving me the knower knowledge of the world, how to operate this computer, um, how to read this book, and uh, then how to talk to you. All of this is deployed because in the background there is knowledge. I am the knower, there is a no, um, things, things to be known, and there are ways of knowing it, and there is knowledge. Now the problem will be, if uh, you say pure consciousness is to be known, didn't you, follow this, this is fun. Didn't you just say it is beyond all attributes, beyond all qualifications? Then isn't knowability also a kind of qualification? You can at least say pure consciousness, you can't say it is red or white or blue, it is not big or small, but you can at least say that it is knowable because you just said it is the thing to be known. So it, how is that beyond all qualifications? That's one, even more damaging. The moment you say knowable, then aren't you importing the entire realm of duality into it? Knower, if it's knowable, pure consciousness is knowable, then there must be a knower. There must be a way of knowing it, pramanam, and there must be knowledge of that pure consciousness. So aren't you importing a whole, the whole spectrum of duality into what you are claiming to be non-dual? Ultimately, you will say this is a non-dual Brahman, non-dual absolute reality. But you're now saying, it is knowable, which means all of this epistemology becomes effective there. Again, another problem. Aren't you going against your own Upanishads? Didn't you just say that Vedanta is Upanishads? And the, don't the Upanishads say that the ultimate reality is beyond mind, beyond conceptions, beyond thought, beyond speech? Um, if it is beyond speech, uh, beyond language, then the, how can the Upanishads talk about Brahman? How can the Upanishads reveal Brahman? So all these questions will come up. Um, so how the Upanishads talk about Brahman or reveal Brahman is it's very interesting. No, Brahman is not actually an object of knowledge. When, even when you're saying Prameyam, Upan, so it's an object of knowledge for the Upanishads. Upanishads reveal Brahman, but not the way you would think. How the Upanishads circumvent this problem that the Brahman cannot be revealed by speech. Brahman, no, nothing that you can conceive of is actually Brahman. Uh, so if that is so, then how do the Upanishads reveal it? If it's beyond language and the Upanishads are language, how does language work around this problem of inexpressibility? How do you express the inexpressible? So I won't say that now. Uh, courtesy of, I've, I've talked about it a number of times. I think Advaita Vedanta and the paradox of language, I think there's a talk there, you can look at it. We'll see later on how it does that. Um, the basic idea is it does not talk directly about Brahman. That's why it employs a variety of strategies. You see why in the Upanishads, why do they revel in paradoxes? Why do they revel in these cute little stories like the 10th man story? Why do they um, use what is called a pointer? You know, the, the Chinese saying about the finger pointing at the moon, the finger is not the moon. 
it's pointing at something and that you have to follow the finger and grasp but the finger is useful but um, it's not the point what is it is pointing at the moon that's what you want you're supposed to see similarly upanishads as language do not directly reveal brahman but they indirectly by the use of paradox or uh, implication or um, um, you know stories or contradictions they will try to indicate so they are basically pointers okay so that's what i wanted to say prameyam so in it's only in that very special sense that brahman is prameyam none of the panoply the range of dualities is imported there so when we say that pure consciousness is prameyam prameyam means a thing to be known does not mean that we are talking about a distinction of knower thing to be known an instrument of knowledge no there's no distinction because you are it's the pure consciousness it was just said that so you cannot be distinct from it it's just said you are that absolute reality you are pure consciousness and if that is to be known you are actually to be known uh, and you cannot be a separate knower the upanishads cannot be a source of knowledge in that sense they can only indicate it they cannot directly reveal it um yeah now so you have questions hold on to that let me just go a little further um is that all is that what vedanta talks about you are brahman that's it all these books all these ancient texts and all the explanatory note uh, uh, the texts down to this text itself so much has been written it all means i am brahman that's all but if you look at the text there are so many there are stories and there are there is poetry and there is uh, there are there is a, there are like arguments and philosophy um so many things are there why are you just saying the upanishads teach you you are brahman because very important point tatra eva vedantanam tatparyat vedantanam the all the vedantic sentences it refers to the mass of upanishadic literature vedantanam means vedantic sentences literally the upanishadic literature all of that tatparya tatparya means the the purport the purport uh, what it wants to say all the upanishads want to say that they are this is what they are all pointing towards this is what they are all building up towards all the stories all the poetry and the arguments and whatever is described there in the upanishads everything ultimately the the um in sanskrit there's a term vivaksha desire to speak some desire to say something they desire to say this uh, purport of the vedanta text is jiva brahmaikyam the identity of sentient being with brahman which is pure consciousness that's all they want to say ultimately in that sense vedanta is very simple actually our very our real nature is pure consciousness and that is what is to be realized that's all that is it's meant here that's the take away from this but look at how subtly they investigate what is the nature of oneness what kind of oneness are you talking about and uh, if it's pure consciousness then um uh, how is it to be known because there's so many objections to to the knowability of pure consciousness no notice if you say okay it is not to be known in that case it's unknown in that case all your vedantaka is not expressing pure consciousness then why study it at all why did you just say the subject matter of vedanta is pure consciousness if it that is the subject matter if that's what is going to be taught then how and at the same time the vedanta itself says it cannot be taught it cannot be the subject matter so what is the way out of it 
Kano Upanishad says, when a student goes to the teacher, teach me, um, you know, what is that which is behind all my thoughts, which inspires my thoughts, my speech. Keneshitam patati preshitam mana, kena prana prathama prayiti yukta, keneshitam vacham imam vadanti, chakshushrotram kaudeva yunakti. That's the first verse, mantra of the Kena Upanishad, which, um, uh, which says, what is that one shining reality behind all my thoughts, my speech, um, my, my seeing, my hearing. So all my conscious activities, behind all of it is what? That is basically the, the question of, you know, the hard problem of consciousness, which we are talking about today what David Chalmers is speaking about. 5,000 years ago, they asked that this is the crucial question to ask. What is that one thing behind everything? And the answer is also remarkable. It is Shrotrasya Shrota Manaso Manoyat Vachoha Vacha Sauprana Prana. It says it is, it is the, you want to know what, what is behind your hearing? It is the hearing of the hearing. You want to know what is behind your seeing? It's the seeing of the seeing, eye of the eye. But behind your thinking, at that time, I, I think the student would say, let me guess. It must be the mind of the mind. Yes. Behind your speech, it's the speech of the speech. Why put it in that kind of paradoxical language? The reason is, you're talking about consciousness. So why don't you just say it's consciousness or pure consciousness, whatever it is. The reason is, the moment you give a name, consciousness, Brahman, Atman, our immediate thing is to objectify it. There is a thing called Atman, Brahman, whereas I am myself that and then go out searching for it. So in order to stop that tendency, in order to make us look within ourselves into our conscious experience, it brings our attention back to our conscious experience. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. It's right there what you're asking for in all of these things. Great. Then the student is, uh, is, is asking, you can imagine the student asking, this is wonderful, uh, please teach me. And then the teacher says, We don't know how it can be taught. We don't know it ourselves. And we don't know how it can be taught. So at this point, the student might be, then why did I come to you? Let me leave. It's exactly what is going on here. Can it be known? Can it be taught? So, no, it can't be known. It's not an object of knowledge. It can't be taught. It's not something that can be said by any text uh, or even thought of by any mind. Then the teacher says, wait, there is a way. There's a way of realizing this. The ancients have taught us that way. It worked in our case and it might work for you. Let me tell you what that is. Uh, and then, you know, the classic, the, the Upanishad says, the teacher says, Anya avidita datho avidita dadhi. It is other than the known, other than the unknown. Now, what is other than the known and what is other than the unknown? You only, the knower, the real nature of the knower is that which knows everything or does not know something. All objects are known or unknown. All the entire set of, super set of objects is either known or unknown. There's only one thing apart from all of this, the subject, the knower, the real nature of the knower. Anyway, so all this is to explain what is going on here that uh, pure consciousness is being pointed towards. Now, next. And all of that is the purport of the entire Vedanta. And this is just said so simply here. If you go to the Brahma Sutras, there are sutra after sutra 
in the Brahma Sutras and, and long commentaries by Shankaracharya, who has to show in detail uh, how this Upanishadic text or that Upanishadic text, how does it ultimately point to that thou art, the identity of Jiva and Brahman. They don't seem to be connected. They seem to be saying something different. So he has to stitch together. He has to uh, synthesize all of Vedanta, all these texts, and show that they all mean one thing. Then number 28. I'll do this and the next one and then take questions. 28 is the Sambandha. Sambandha means relation. Four preliminaries, we have already done two. This is what we just did was Vishaya, subject matter. You might be thinking, what was the first one? Adhikari, the, qualifi the qualified student. Adhikari, qualified student, Vishaya, subject matter. And now the third one, Sambandha, relation. Relation between what and how is this a preliminary? Sambandhastu tad aikya prameyasya tad pratipadaka tad pratipadaka upanishad pramanasya cha buddhya buddhaka bhavaha the connection or the relation between that identity which is to be realized and the evidence of the Upanishads that establishes it as a between a thing to be known and that which tells of it. What does it mean? So this book or the texts called the Upanishad, what relation do they have to this realization which is the ultimate purpose? The realization of what? Of oneness or identity, Jiva Brahman. What kind of identity is it? The radical oneness, the identity that you are pure consciousness, Brahman is pure consciousness. That is to be realized. That realization, that ultimate uh, enlightenment, and this book, how are they related? We must know. Then only we can use the book properly to get to that point. So the purpose of the book is not to read the book. The purpose of the book is to read the book so that we ultimately get that realization. And book of the, the purpose of the book is not, that's not the end of it. So why, what is the relationship? Simple. Bodhya bodhaka, thing to be understood and thing which makes you understand it. Bodhya, you have to realize that I am Brahman. And this is the one which helps you to realize that. That which makes you realize that, that which tells you. Literally, it's the one which tells of it. It tells that. It gives you information. You might ask, doesn't every book do that? No, books are of different kinds. Um, a nice detective novel that doesn't tell you anything. It in entertains you. That's the purpose. Your purpose is entertainment. Book entertains you. A nice coffee table book of, of art. Um, so it can, uh, it, it gives you an aesthetic enjoyment. So that's the purpose of the book. Um, why I said coffee table book is this laptop, I have put it on two books, which are big and heavy books. They are uh, books of Buddhist art of Kashmir uh, and it's published by the Rubin Museum. I gave two talks there and both times they gave me the same book as, as a present and so the purpose of the book is aesthetic enjoyment but right now it is serving a different purpose to as a support for the laptop. Now so the books can have different purposes uh, or different uses. More technically, more specifically, why does it, why are they saying it? This is, this is an important point here. Upanishads are part of the Vedas. And the Vedas have broadly two distinctions, two distinct parts. One is called Karmakanda, the ritualistic portion. The other one is called Jnanakanda, the knowledge portion. And the Upanishads belong to the knowledge portion. Vedanta is the knowledge portion of the Vedas. It is very different from the 
the ritualistic portion, the karma portion of the Vedas, which is full of different kinds of rituals you perform, you know, to go to heaven or to win a kingdom or to have, make rainfall or whatever. Now, the two kinds of texts are very different. Those ritualistic texts, what kind of texts are they? What is the relationship of the text to the ritual? It tells you to perform the ritual. It shows you how to perform the ritual. It is not informative. It makes you do something. Uh, it inspires you to action. Whereas the Upanishads don't inspire you to action. In fact, the Upanishads are telling you something about yourself. They are pointing out something very important about yourself. That you are pure consciousness. This is being shown by the Upanishads. Not, they are not telling you to do this or do that. And this is very important because if you are a Vedic student, you are used to that kind of uh, Vedic knowledge. Ritualistic knowledge, which is various kinds of rituals. Uh, what are they meant for? How to perform them? And we should perform them. They are inspiring us to perform it. So when you come to the Upanishads, one might be excused to, if one makes the mistake. This is also telling us, what should we do now? If you're still waiting for that, with all of the Vedas that I've read earlier, they've told me clearly what is to be done. Now, where, what is the Upanishad? You are Brahman. Okay, what do I do now? Nothing. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be telling you something you have to realize for yourself. And that's the whole purpose. Uh, Swami Atma Priyanjit is to tell us when he would teach us. Vedanta, he told us about his teacher, his teacher, uh, who was a great um, Vedanta master in our monastery. Um, I can tell his name. He has passed on now. Swami Mukhyananda. So he was quite a picturesque character. He was this huge man and uh, um, pot-bellied and with a long flowing beard, which is rare for monks of our order because we are usually clean shaven. So he had uh, white hair, long flowing beard, and just like a, like a rishi, in those pictures you get depictions. And he was always feeling hot. So he had this hand, bamboo hand fan, which would fan himself all the while. And the more excited he got, the more he would fan himself. And that's the way he would bless people. So I've seen him and he's, I've received those blessings. The blessings is when you bow down to him, he'll hit you on the head with the fan tap you in the head with the fan. So I've been tapped many times. I thought, I don't know if that's why I'm bald or something. I don't know. Uh, so Swami Mukhyananda, he was a great Vedanta teacher. Not for us, because by the time we went for training, for studies, he had already sort of retired. He was too old to teach. But Atma Priyanji used to give us stories of how he taught. So when he's teaching this portion, what is the distinction between a text which tells you something and which commands you to do something? He comes to the class and he had a high-pitched voice. So Atma Priyanji imitates him beautifully. He says, he comes to the class and he look, all the novices are sitting, the brahmacharis. He suddenly barks, you, get me a glass of water. And this brahmachari gets up, stop, sit down. And he sits down. Then he says, look, the grass is green. This gobi, yeah, grass is green. So, get me a glass of water. He stands up again, fool, sit down. You see the difference between the two kinds of texts. One is telling you a fact. And that confuses the brahmachari. I mean, he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Grass is green. Nothing. It's a, it's a fact. And it's an unimportant fact, maybe. And you are Brahman is an all-important fact. But it's just like that, it's a fact. It's to be realized. It's to be known. Get a glass of water is like the ritualistic portion of the Vedas. There's some action to be done. That is so easily understood by us. That's why the brahmachari happily stood up. I know how to, what to do with this. Get a glass of water, that's easy. 
And that's why the Swami barked, fool, sit down. So th that's the point. Buddhya bodhaka bhava, the uh, relation of something to be explained and the explainer. What does it explain? And um, so what are the, what is to be explained? Tad aikya prameyasya, that identity. What identity? Jiva Brahman identity. Prameya, thing to be known. What is the thing to be known? Pure consciousness, realized. And what is the one which explains all this? Tat pratipadaka upanishad pramanasya. The one, the upanishads, which are the source of knowledge, which explain that or which establish that identity. Between these two, the relation is bodhya bodhaka. Thing to be realized and the thing which makes you realize. Okay. The last of the four preliminaries, prayojanam, the purpose of all of this. Um, I'll just say that and stop and take the questions. Purpose of all of this study. Prayojanam tu tad aikya prameyagata agyana nivritti swasvarupa ananda avaptischa tarati shokam atmavit ityadi shrutehe brahmavit brahmheva bhavati ityadi shrutescha. All right. Prayojanam. The, the benefit or the purpose or the necessity of this study. So the necessity here is to remove the ignorance about that identity. What identity? What you're going to study? You are Brahman. We are ignorant of that. We must admit, we just heard about this. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, that's the very thing that is to be removed. The purpose is to remove this ignorance. Why? What's the purpose of that? He says, Swaswarupa Ananda uh, Avapti to attain that bliss which is your own nature. Swarupa Ananda, your own nature is that bliss to attain that bliss. Where do you get this from? Tarati Shokamatmavit. Upanishads themselves say that. The knower of the self goes beyond sorrow, which is from Chandogya Upanishad. Brahmavit Brahmheva Bhavati. Mundaka Upanishad says that the knower of Brahman is Brahman, which is, is, uh, is Brahman. Brahmeva is virtually Brahman or becomes Brahman. Becomes means is Brahman, realizes Brahman. Ityadi Shrutescha from all these and many other, other um, Upanishadic texts. Shruti means Upanishads or Vedic texts. From all these Upanishadic texts, we know the purpose is transcendence of sorrow and attainment of our infinite nature, which is infinite bliss. All right. Two points here. The way it is normally put, what is the purpose of Vedanta or all of spiritual life in uh, Indian traditions? In all Indian traditions, except the materialists, whether all schools of Hinduism, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, Yoga, uh, Vedanta, um, Mimamsa, or uh, Buddhism, all the schools of Buddhism, all the schools of Jainism and Sikhism, the ultimate purpose is is freedom from is freedom moksha freedom from what from samsara what is samsara this cycle of birth and death um, janma mrityu chakra this cycle of birth and death we are born here but we were there earlier that's what um, all these schools of indian philosophy believe in and we will continue to exist this body goes the jivas the sentient being goes on to other bodies and other lives and freedom from this cycle this is inherently unsatisfying uh, full of suffering and misery. So once you have had your fill of this, you would like to get out of this. That impulse brings you to this, this uh, you know, Vedanta. So the purpose is 
freedom, freedom from samsara. Moksha, moksha means literally means freedom, being set free. Set, what is the nature of this samsara? Birth and death, the cycle, endless cycle of birth and death, which is of the nature of misery. Now one might say, hmm, I don't really believe in that cycle of birth and death. Maybe, especially in this country, uh, in the West, uh, in the Abrahamic traditions, we have only one life. Who, where is the proof of other lives? And where is even the proof that I shall exist afterwards? So what's the point of all this? You're setting me free from a problem which I didn't, uh, didn't have. I don't have it. You know, that story of the, the snake oil salesman uh, who was arrested by the police, in the, the sheriff in the Wild West and brought before the judge. And he was charged with giving real remedies for imaginary diseases and imaginary remedies for real diseases. <laughs> so is it like that? Is it an imaginary disease, uh, birth and death? I don't know about it. Therefore, the actual purpose of Vedanta is put in another way. Forget all talk about many lives and freedom from the cycle of samsara. This life, consider this life. Freedom from suffering. The Upanishad does not even talk about many lives. It just says, crosses over suffering. Tarati shokam. Shokam, suffering, tarati, transcends, crosses over. Overcoming suffering and attainment of true, lasting happiness. Anandava. So, it is put in this way. Dukkha nivritti, cessation or transcendence of suffering. Ananda vapti or ananda prapti, attainment of bliss or like true, lasting fulfillment. Let's put it this way, deep fulfillment. Now, who can argue with that? You can't argue. Everybody wants that. In all our pursuits of life, basically, that's what we want. And Vedanta promises it in its utmost form. You tried everything. You tried toys and relationships and money and fame and learning, um, going to heaven. All of that you've tried. Power. None of that has given you, you have not been able to overcome suffering. You have not been able to attain lasting bliss. Here is something that promises that kind of transcendence of suffering and attainment of actual fulfillment. That is the purpose. And he gives supporting evidence from two Upanishads and says there are many such Upanishadic statements which say you will attain infinite bliss and you will overcome suffering forever. That is the purpose. And so that brings to the close the four preliminaries. We haven't started the text yet. Just the preliminaries for the text. So the four preliminaries, Adhikari, qualified student, uh, Vishaya, subject matter, Sambandha, relation between the book and the subject matter, and uh, uh, the Prayojana, the purpose of this study. Good. Let's take up Shashank. Can you uh, tell us who's going to ask questions? Yes, Dimitri. Uh, good evening, Samaji. Um, Quick question, like if I understand correctly, that uh, intellectually I realize the the message that you are now conveying, and also practically when I try to see in a moment, I see that I am nothing that I am able to objectify or absorb or experience. Uh, then this is like I, I cannot disprove it. I can, like it's a it's a truth for me. Then. The next step is really like, but in order for me to attain this uh, everlasting happiness and, and please, this is the other knowledge of Vedanta that is kind of bhakti yoga and uh, you know, karma yoga that uh, one needs to practice to change the qualities of jiva in order to have a different kind of experience while keeping in mind that it's just a temporary thing that 
eventually will, uh, well, I don't know actually how, how to continue from here. Right. I understand what you're trying to say. No. Um, the bliss which is used, that's why I'm careful about using the term bliss. The moment we say bliss, we feel it's some kind of deeply fulfilling experience, a feeling, uh, an emotion, a joy, a peace, something experienced, which is very nice. Um, is that what is meant here? No. When it says Ananda Prapti, notice it qualified it by Swar Swarupa, one's own real nature, which is of the nature of Ananda or bliss. So that's why I said fulfillment. What is meant here? It's so the just as when you say Brahman is pure being, it's not when you attain Brahman, is it a particular thing that you attain? Is Brahman one kind of existing thing? No, it is being or existence itself. When you say Brahman is pure consciousness, so is it a kind of conscious experience? You see something here, something or a mystical experience or something? No, it is consciousness itself, which is at the root of all conscious experiences. Similarly, when you say Ananda, is it a particularly brilliant, uh, thrilling kind of uh, uh, experience, you know, which is very pleasing and very, very nice. No, it is that which is at the root of all fulfillment, all our desires, our drives to fulfillment. It is, those are all manifestations of this one thing. Just as existence, sat, pure being, is not a thing which exists. Pure consciousness is not a particular kind of conscious experience. Pure bliss is not a particular kind of bliss. So it is rather, so you can put it this way, all fulfillment, fulfillment without limit, which is manifested in different ways. Once you attain that, that's the nature of Brahman. You don't need to do other things for that. Um, it is done. Your nature is of, um, is um, unlimited fulfillment. You know, one Swami put it this way, to prevent this kind of uh, confusion, this teacher said, Ananda, bliss, can be understood as limitlessness. It is the very limitlessness of existence and awareness, which is Ananda. Our, why, what is the argument for this? Because a traditional scholar would immediately say, your Swami can say whatever he likes. Where is the Upanishadic proof for this? So the Upanishadic proof is, in the Chandogya Upanishad, it is said, Yo vai bhuma tat sukham nalpe sukham asti. There is no true happiness in the limited. No lasting happiness in the limited, no matter whatever it is. Then what is uh, lasting happiness? Yo vai bhuma tat sukham. That which is the infinite. Bhuma literally means the vast. That which is the vast, that is real happiness. So every other limited kind of happiness, you're going to overflow that one day. You're going to over, you are going to be tired of it. It's, it's going to disappoint you one day. Only the infinite uh, will fulfill you because you are the infinite. And that infinite is not a thing out there. What is that infinite? Being and consciousness. What being? Not a thing that exists, but being itself. What consciousness? Not a particular kind of consciousness, not a particular conscious experience, not even a particular mystical experience, not even Nirvikalpa Samadhi. But that which makes all these experiences, worldly and spiritual, secular and sacred, all of it possible. Uh, may, may I ask like a clarifying point here? So yes. this is very clear. This is like, like yes, it makes so much sense. Then, uh, then shall I just, you know, stay with this knowledge and 
you stay with this knowledge and uh, you know what what really trips us over is back to that fourfold qualification because we don't really have it um, and our minds are clouded by past conditioning it's still instinctively reaching out to find fulfillment in the world outside so uh, for a spiritual seeker it might not be a gross form of thrill seeking or pleasure seeking outside it might be a more superior kind of a pure kind of joy nothing wrong with it but that's not uh, the ananda which is being spoken of here no more than um, a thing in the world outside is the being which is being spoken of here yeah so what is to be done if you ask specifically that purificatory process where meditation and service and devotion all of those things continue because they are they are changing the mind you are not the mind they are changing the mind they are actually removing those urges to flow outwards into the world and use vedanta to become more and more clear about what is this that you have discovered this this uh, being consciousness bliss what is it that you have discovered i i mentioned um in that uh, um talk and google talk you know when, when i quoted heidegger the importance of this question that uh, he says this question is the question of the first rank why because we were asking about something that is the widest it includes everything that is the deepest that is before any other kind of question and also the most fundamental of questions because it questions itself that bliss now what what kind of bliss would that be that which is at the foundation of all bliss that which includes all bliss and that which no, is not a thing out there rather is at the root uh, is at the source of all bliss that is the ananda we are talking about and it will become more and more clear what vedanta does is once you discover what is being talked about it it shows you what kind of thing it is that you have discovered all right a good example would be sri ramakrishna's story of the washerman so the washerman found a diamond a big diamond and he didn't know being a poor washerman he didn't know the true value of it he just thought it was a stone and he used it to scrub clothes for this you have to imagine the washerman on the banks of rivers in india so they take your clothes out there the, the washing machine is the river itself and uh, they will scrub your clothes and let it dry on the river banks so they need a scrubbing stone he thought this diamond is uh, like a nice peculiar scrubbing stone he used to scrub clothes with it um then he took it to his friend the vegetable seller and asked him this is something special it looks like do you know what this is and the vegetable seller thought this is a pretty stone well i'll give you 10 rupees for it and luckily the washerman didn't sell it for 10 rupees he went ultimately he went from one person to another went ultimately to the diamond merchant who said this is the most magnificent diamond i've ever seen i'll give you a million rupees for it and the washerman all his uh, needs and his poverty were removed because the diamond bought him whatever he could want in in life and the moral of the story is we have discovered the diamond but once you begin to understand what this witness consciousness is but we are still using it for scrubbing clothes we are what are we using this for we are using it for uh, seeing smelling tasting touching we are using it for thinking um, for remembering and forgetting desiring hating loving questing all of the, these are scrubbing clothes now you ultimately when you realize vedanta comes like the diamond merchant and shows you the real nature of what you have got already got it's with you actually just by seeing that right that realization that i am this pure consciousness you are actually set free of all of that 
that's what's going to happen as we dwell on the vedantic truth and stay with it what you have got yeah thank you um manish manish you have to unmute swami ji namaste namaste swami ji i heard your talk uh, when you spoke to the houston community houston group on that weekend the long weekend hmm. and there was this woman who asked a very simple but a brilliant question and her question was if truth is one why there is so much um you know different views with respect to what the ultimate truth is hmm. and i think today you nailed it i was kind of a little surprised by your answer the other day because you 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 seem to uh, imply that probably nobody knows that at least amongst the people who are here today and i have always struggled with this because i believe that the problem is in the terminology we use in the interpretation of our of our um, you know the sanskrit text things like where there is no attribute the upanishad say neti neti but the moment we put a word some language to it the moment you know people start thinking about in different ways the And use you, of the you have word a, knowledge a specific question about this uh, where is uh, this going well swami ji my question is is that is there some work that has been done with respect to this is there somebody who um uh i was means i'm just look talking from a critical inquiry standpoint whether neti neti is there a linguistic issue here a linguistic issue you have to be more uh, like linguistic issue in what sense the neti neti is the denial of everything and what remains is what we call consciousness but what if we don't put a word to that and we just say when you go through the process of meditation the external world the gross world dissolves the the subtle world which is basically your mind and body dissolves then you know when things are dissolving there is a natural filling up of this universal ineffable love and if the truth is without attributes that means there is something about even that quality of universal ineffable love which needs the support of an impure mind when the impurities go away that itself dissolves and perhaps that transition itself is ananda where the 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 most powerful thing in the world which is the I, you can all right you can understand it in your own way but also i would suggest you pay attention to what the text is saying and and what i'm saying about the text it's good to think about it independently and uh, come to conclusions but first of all the the first process is shravana is careful listening and study so that you can uh, say what the text say, said what is the standard vedantic interpretation after that you can think about it so for example neti neti the not this whatever is presented as an object external world not that is not brahman not the atman the body is not the atman because it is presented to you iti this is this this body is it brahman no 
Or is it the Atman? No. This prana? No. This mind? No. This, um, the, this intellect? No. Um, then the, the, the causal body beyond that, this Anandamaya, is it that? No. When you have exhausted everything that is presented as an object, the natural tendency will be to conclude, then there's nothing. Is it, It's all a void, shunyam. The second neti comes into play there. Not even that. Then what is left? So what they're pointing towards is that consciousness, you, the pure consciousness to which all of this is appearing. All the, that is appearing as a presence, that is appearing as an absence, all of that, beyond all of that, shining upon all of that is you, the consciousness. That's what is being pointed out. Yeah. Um, Prabhupada. Yeah, Maharaj, uh, Aham Brahmasmi is a pointer, right? Um, yes. I I found, you know, in Dhidhishveka, there is this meditation tool which says, Asanga Satchidananda Saprava Varjita. I found that to be more useful in meditations because yes. Aham Brahmasmi has this Aham in it and it actually creates a problem. So, what do you, what do you think about? Uh, no, the, the aham should not create a problem because from the aham, all that is objective has already been stripped. Before you start meditating, if you say right away, I'm going to say aham brahmasmi. That's the whole point of Vedanta. I'm not going to attend any classes. No, you, you will end up in serious problem because the aham as it stands now, aham means I, the I, as it stands now, it immediately points to the ego, which is associated with body and mind. So when I say I am Brahman, I'm already, I mean body and mind. This body and mind by itself is not Brahman. Ultimately it is, but then everything else is also. But right now only this body and mind is what I mean by Aham. I don't mean the whole universe. I mean just this person. And if I say I am Brahman, that's megalomania. That's, that's just crazy. So one has to go through the whole process, which will be, we will go through over the next few months, uh, which will finally strip the Aham of all false associations, all false associations and point to the reality of the Aham. Notice, even in the meditation which you found useful, Satchidananda, Dvaita, Varjitam, Swaprakasha, all of that, then it says, Asmi. Asmi already means Aham Asmi. Asmi means am. So the I is implied there. I am this. So I is, again, I is there. But the I must, must already be processed through Vedanta. The raw I already is, 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 comes mixed up with body-mind. One, as I said, one, in fact, uh, the current Shankaracharya Puri, he says, you must warn, he warns Vedantic students against smuggling in the body-mind uh, into Brahman. <laughs> he says, you are smuggling in the mind. Of, it's like basically what happens. Whenever there is a problem, you know that you're smuggling the mind into, into Brahman. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Is Can that all? Yes. Um, Pranam Maharaj. So, um, verse 27, uh, Brahman okay, is Pranam. These are all, you can just call them texts because verse means shloka. Some of them are shlokas, but 27, for example, is just a text. Yeah, yes, Maharaj. That's a simple point here. Yeah. Go on. So, text 27, uh, Brahman is Pramayam, uh, but it is not knowable. Now, another paradoxical word, you know, that... Um, we use a lot in teaching is experience, right? And you could argue that they are interchangeable in, in that sense. But personally, for me, more than Triputi, the word experience uh, that you use, uh, um, you know, in teaching 
sort of conveys a, a little bit uh, more uh, better meaning. Um, Sri Shankaracharya says in Advaita Vedanta, everything that we have in this phenomenal world, every experience we have is unreal. Um, but when, when we were studying Mandukya, right, um, you went again and again, like, you know, um, look at your experience, waking, sleeping, dreaming, look at your experience. Um, you know, when I think about the word experience and then try to understand what Sri Shankaracharya says about every experience and being unreal, it feels like, you know, in my mind, I'm going in circles and circles, real, unreal. All right, real, Pranav, unreal. stop there. Let me just, you have used a few terms. Let me define them and see whether it answers the question you're leading towards. Very precise definitions. What is experience? Consciousness plus an object is experience. Chaitanya plus Vishaya is experience. It's only when consciousness shines upon an object that we get experience. Now, usually our experience has these, these three components. Uh, the experiencer, the experienced object, and the in instrument of experience. So just what I, what I said, knower, the knowable object, and the instrument of knowledge, pramana, prameya, pramata. This is the triputi. What is Brahman? Consciousness itself. When you eliminate the object from, uh, from experience, you're left with consciousness. Consciousness plus object is experience. Experience minus object is consciousness itself. So when you drop the object from experience, or even more in detail, drop the, um, the object of experience and uh, the, the, the source of knowledge and the pramatritvam of the pramata, the knowerhood of the knower, what is left is only the consciousness. So the definition of Brahman Definition of Brahman, what is the thing to be realized? Very beautiful definition. Anubhava matra param brahma. Experience itself is, uh, experience only is the uh, absolute Brahman. The ultimate reality. Experience only. Follow this carefully. Anubhava matram. Anubhava, experience. Matram, only. What is that only? You have dropped the object. You have dropped the object from experience. Why will you drop the object? Because ultimately we will see in Vedanta, the object is not real. It, it's not to be counted along with consciousness. There is no separate uh, thing called an uh, object. You drop the object, which also means uh, in, the, in the Triputi, the knower, the knowable object and the source of knowledge. You drop the knowable object, you drop the source of knowledge and don't drop the knower because the very nature of the knower is consciousness itself. Drop the knowerhood of the knower, the knowership of the knower. In Sanskrit, pramatritvam. Yeah. One of the Upanishadic texts says, vijnataram are kena vijaniyat. How can we know? The literal translation is, my dear, how can we know the knower? How do we know the knower? You might say at first, what's the problem? Here I am, I'm the knower, I can see myself. You're seeing the body. Is the body the knower? I look inside, here are my thoughts. I know this um, subject. That's a thought. Is the thought itself the knower? When you go back further, then you come to something which is not an object. And that is the real knower. Real knower means the essence of the knower. So to answer your question, or what you are leading up towards, experience is consciousness plus object. Think about it. What is an experience? Very clear def def uh, definition. Simple, direct definition. Consciousness plus object plus means what does that plus mean what does it mean consciousness 
shining upon, objectifying something, is experience. In experience, you want to discover the ultimate reality? Experience minus object is ultimate reality consciousness. Yeah, That's Maharaj, uh, you know, last week only I was actually reading Kena Upanishad. And uh, there is this thing that the student says to the teacher that, you know, I feel I know it, but I, I, I don't know. Um, in response to teacher's uh, question whether you understood it or not. So I feel like I over-intellectualize it sometimes. It's probably, you know, easy to just let go and, and not think too much about, about it. I don't know if it's a cop-out or not, but I do tie myself and not... Stop there. You have to listen carefully to what I'm saying. Uh, it's, so, for example, I'm listening very carefully to what you're saying. I don't know whether to um, let go or not, whether it's a cop-out or not. Suppose you let go of this trying to understand it. Or you do not let go. You follow it up seriously. You question, read about it, think about it. In both cases, isn't it the same thing which has let go or which is the same thing which is following up? Isn't it the same awareness? Hmm. What is that which witnesses, which reveals the letting go or the not letting go? Yeah. In my mind, it's empirical awareness, but it's even beyond that. It's the pure, pure. The subject. one which is, says, in my mind, to whom does that mind appear? To the jiva, not... Like, no, not even the answer. All of this is appearing to what? To the chutchetanya. Uh, but don't give a name to it. If you, if you know what it is appearing to, suppose you follow it up and try to get an understanding. You, the one who followed it up, that one. Suppose you do not follow it up. Isn't it the same one who did not follow it up? What is that one? Then what is the difference between the two? The difference is at the level of the mind. One mind intellectualized it, struggled with it. Another mind just kept quiet. But the awareness behind both minds is the same. That awareness is being spoken about. And you, you cannot objectify it. Note that it gives you an uneasy feeling when you try to think about it. It's, it's behind every thought, illumining every thought. Stay with it. Stay with it. Thank you. Let me just quickly... Um, all right, you can stop here. Let me just quickly go through the comments in the chat section and we'll see if there's anything I can need to respond to. Jeevan Brahman are the same. Samrat is asking this. Why didn't Thakur accept food from Swami Vivekananda? Always make a distinction between what is at the level of appearance and what is an absolute reality. So remember, even what did you read here? Jiva and Brahman are the same. But in what sense? As pure consciousness. But the moment there is good and bad and there is um, spiritual and non-spiritual, all the distinctions you have to apply. It's like asking... Uh, if the bracelet and the necklace are the same, they're gold, then why are you putting the bracelet on the, on the wrist and the necklace on the neck? Why don't you do the other way around? No. Um, what you put where, what you call it, you call one thing a necklace, another thing a bracelet, it's, it's at the level of name and form and use. But the substance itself, the reality itself, is gold. Um, is all the study and investigation practice basically a means of removing what is obscuring the direct knowledge? Uh, yes, 
But remember, obscuring the direct knowledge, uh, this is Gloria asking this, it is obscuring the reality, not the direct knowledge. The knowledge removes the obscuration. Do you see what I'm saying? Knowledge is not obscured. What is obscured is the reality that you are pure consciousness. And the knowledge comes and removes the obscuration. It's like uh, the classical example of seeing a rope, uh, the snake in a rope. It's a rope, but we don't know it. And it looks like a snake to us. What is obscured? Not the knowledge of the snake. What is obscured? Uh, it, what is obscured is the rope itself, not the knowledge of the rope. The appearance of the snake, the error of the snake, obscures the rope. Now, what you need is a knowledge of the rope uh, to overcome the error that it is a snake. But the reality is always the rope, and that is what has become obscured. The reality is always Brahman, and that has become obscured, or that is obscured right now. And the knowledge about Brahman removes the ignorance about Brahman. And we'll see all that in detail in a beautiful book. Towards the end of it, we are still far away. What is enlightenment? How does it happen? Um, so all those things, minute detail they're pointed out. How is uh, this realization, enlightenment, different from our ordinary knowing? All those things will be we'll discussed in very precise detail. Um, I've heard that Vaikuntha is spiritual. Where is that situated? Is it Saguna Brahman? It is Saguna Brahman. But remember, uh, I will always say, Vaikuntha is the highest heaven, a spiritual heaven. But I'll always say, uh, when we are studying something like this, it's always a good, um, good practice to remain confined within the text. A, a, a traditional scholar would have scolded you at this point and said, where is this Vaikuntha void? Where did it ever come up in this discussion? Nowhere. Why are you bringing it up? So, the, so look at the, the author, they're so precise. Every word they use is being defined very soon. So they don't mean any, uh, they don't want to use anything that is undefined. But to answer your question, in dualistic uh, Vedanta, Dvaita, Vishishta Dvaita, where the, where the ultimate reality is God, Saguna Brahman, they don't have an, a conception of something beyond, an absolute beyond Saguna Brahman. So God exists, God, the heaven exists, and your whole idea is to go to that highest heaven, which is called Vaikuntha in, in Vaishnavism. And that you do by bhakti. All of that, Vedanta here, Advaita Vedanta will say, that's all relative. Beyond all of that, beyond God, beyond the individual, beyond heaven, uh, all of that is this absolute pure consciousness, which you are. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastu